Amen. Well, you brought your Bible, say yes. All right, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we find ourselves. We're in a series of messages entitled Crazy Good as we go through this particular book verse by verse. Now, the reason we're calling it Crazy Good is because when you look at what God has done for the church, you cannot describe it any better than just saying this is crazy good. Before God created the heavens and the earth, he actually had this master plan. And this master plan included you, it included myself. God chose a people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue to be a part of what is known as the church. Now, in order to get you and I into the church, he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus had to come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That is, redeem us from our sin and bring us into the family of God. So now we're a part of this great church. But sometimes, and I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me uh, quite a bit, and I'm just going to be you know, gut level honest with you. There are times in my walk with Jesus that I actually lose focus, right? So I I lose my motivation. I lose really paying attention to what Jesus has for me and what Jesus desires for me. And there are times that I hit that. I think that's probably why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, that we would enjoy getting to know God better. But there are still times in my life, man, when I, I just, I do, I lose focus. I'm not really enjoying getting to know God the way I should. Hey, by the way, anybody else ever been like that before? Would you just slip your hand up? Don't leave me all by myself, all right? God bless you. Those who didn't, I don't believe you. All right, so, but this has happened in my life. So that is when I need motivation. That is when I need some encouragement. That is when I need to find some truths in the Bible that I can cling to that will motivate me to once again focus on my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And for some of you this morning, maybe that's you. Maybe you're unfocused. Maybe you're not doing what God desires for you. Maybe you're not enjoying getting to know God more the way he really wants you to. So what we want to do this morning is help you. I think that's what Paul is doing with those in Ephesus. He wants to remind them of some things that they can grab hold of that will actually help enhance their focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and also motivate their worship of the Lord. So with that in mind, let's see what Paul kind of has to say. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. You've got it there in front of you? Say yes. All right, so stand with me out of God's word this morning. Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 1. Now, notice he's going to talk about what they were like, all right? Now, this comes right off the heels of him praying that they would enjoy God every single day. So then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, let me say it like this. Don't forget you were. Don't forget what you were like. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but God. Don't y'all love it, by the way, when you run across a verse that begins with, but God? Because that's when you know you're fixing to get some good news. So here it is. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What an awesome truth that is, isn't it? Amen. Verse 6. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. 
Let's bow together. Father, help us to remember these awesome truths, especially whenever we lose our focus. And I pray for every single person here today because the bottom line is, a room this size, there are plenty of people who are followers of you, but they've lost their focus. As a result, they're not involved in the mission of making disciples. So, Father, I pray that you would use our time together to draw us back to your desire for our lives. Draw us back as well, Lord, that we might be motivated in our relationship with you. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So key question this morning, what exactly do we need to make sure that we don't forget? What can we grab hold of? Uh, there are about four things. So let me give them to you very quickly, but here's the very first one. You need to grab hold of the fact that God's mercy towards you is undeserved. God's mercy is undeserved. Now chapter two, verse one, we're going to do some Bible study this morning. So stick with me. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now notice the word dead there. The word dead is used metaphorically by Paul the Apostle to describe separation. In other words, you and I were separated from God. Now, why were we separated from God? Well, the scripture says because of our transgressions or because of our trespasses. Now, this word trespass, you've heard it before. You've probably seen it on signs. People put no trespassing signs in their yard to keep you from walking on their property. Well, if you can imagine for just a moment, let's just say the Ten Commandments. The commandments of God are like no trespassing signs. And God has staked them upon the ground. And he says, do not trespass here or you will walk upon unholy ground and you will be condemned. Now, the scriptures teach us that all of us have trespassed against God. We are sinners by nature, but then we also are sinners by choice. So it is our own Volition, our own will that leads us to choose to sin. And as a result, we are separated from God. We are dead in our trespasses. Now, the Bible also says we're dead in our trespasses and our sins. Now, whenever we use the word sins here, it's a word that means missing the mark. Now, there's a pretty popular game out now called Cornhole. Have y'all played it before? Raise your hand, slip it up real quick. Cornhole. All you people. All right. Cornhole, you take a bean bag, you throw it, you're trying to ring it in the hole. Everybody with me? Have you realized, though, it's not as easy as you would think it would be? And that you miss the hole more than you actually make it? And if you, you know, you don't, don't come talk to me afterwards, all right? You're just braggart is what you are, all right? But here's the thing. When you miss the mark, when you're playing cornhole, that's a picture of sin. The cornhole itself could represent for you and I perfection from God's standard. But you and I have taken our beanbags in life, our beanbags of religion, our beanbags of good works, our beanbags of baptism, our beanbags of the Lord's Supper, our beanbags of Sunday school attendance, our beanbags of mission trips, all of these beanbags. And we have tried to reach perfection, but we have missed perfection. All of us have sinned, the Bible says, and we have fallen short of God's holy standard. And as a result, we are now dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, Paul goes on to describe what's occurring here in verse 2. He says, in which you formerly, again, he's pointing to the past, you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Now, eyeball to eyeball, because this is pretty slick. The word walked here actually is a Greek word that describes your character and your conduct, your everyday walking around life. He says, before him, you were actually walking according to, that is your everyday life was influenced by, that's what according to means, it was influenced by the course of this world. Now, when it mentions the word world here, it's not talking about the planet, it's talking about the world system, the world's way of thinking, the world's way of doing things. And the world's way of thinking and doing things are in direct opposition to God. 
So before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you were being influenced by the world system. And then the scripture goes on and says in verse 2, and you also formerly walked, notice this, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, quick question. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Well, when I was studying this, it's very clear. It is the devil. The devil himself is the prince of the power of the air. Indeed, the influence of the devil was actually in your life before you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the devil does not possess you as an unbeliever, but the devil actually has power over the world system. And as a result, the devil uses the world system to attract the desires of your lust. And before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that is what was influencing and controlling your life. Matter of fact, what's interesting is sometimes I share the gospel with people and tell them they need to surrender their lives and give their hearts to Jesus. But they respond to me and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want anybody telling me how I should live. Now look at me eyeball to eyeball for just a moment. That kind of comment shows very good proof that they are blind. They are blind to the fact that they are not calling their shots in life. In fact, they are being influenced by the prince of the air, who is the devil, who is using the world system to attract their desires and their lusts. So they're not calling the shots, the devil is. And they're being influenced by the enemy. So it's true, even today, every single person in this room, you're either being influenced this morning by the devil or you're being influenced by the Lord Jesus Christ. You're either being influenced by the heavens, or you're being influenced by hell. You're being influenced by the Spirit of God, or you're being influenced by the Spirit of the Antichrist. But when you come to faith in Jesus, what's awesome is, you're taken out of that dead state, and you're given new life. In fact, uh, the Bible goes on in verse 3 and says this. He says, among them, that's the sons of disobedience, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So Paul is saying, look, this is how we used to live. We used to want our own sinful cravings satisfied with whatever the world had to offer. So we were driven by this world system, which is uh, comprised of selfishness, right? So that's what used to drive us before. So we thought, Prior to coming to faith in Jesus, we thought that everything revolved around us and that everyone was here to do our bidding and meet our own personal needs. That's what drove us before we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul says is that when you live like that, you were by nature a child of the wrath of God, even as the rest. That means even as those who are currently being influenced by the enemy, who are being energetically empowered to walk in disobedience to God. Everybody still with me say yes? Now this is pretty amazing here, all right? Because when he says you are a child of God's wrath, uh, now think about it. The, the word children, it describes a close relationship with someone. So my children have a close relationship with me because I'm their father. But here in this text, when he describes us being a child of God's wrath by nature, that means that we are not in a close relationship with God, but we are in a close relationship before Jesus with the wrath of God. And the only thing that keeps the wrath of God from being unleashed upon your soul is the very patience of God. The Bible teaches us that it's his loving kindness that is holding back his wrath. 
It's his great mercy that is holding back his wrath because the Bible says he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. Now take into account verses 1 and 2. It's abundantly clear that there's nothing inside any one of us that would cause the Lord to be pleased with our lives. Before we came to faith in Jesus, God did not look down from heaven and see you and say, well, he's trying pretty hard. I mean, he's a pretty good guy. Let me kind of bring him on into the church. Not the church building, but the church, the company of the called out ones. So God didn't look down and say, well, they're trying hard. They seem to be pretty religious. Let me pull all them. He saw, check this out, nothing in us deserving of mercy. Nothing inside of you, nothing inside of me that somehow impressed God. No way did God look at your life and say, I am impressed. I'm going to bring that person in. That's not what God does. See, none of us deserve the mercy of God. And when you imagine that for just a moment, that if you really received what you deserved, you would be in hell right now. That's where you would be. But God graciously, full of mercy, said, I'm going to redeem him. I'm going to redeem her. I'm going to bring that person into my family. What an awesome truth that is. And whenever you grab hold of that, and listen, if you've lost focus, don't think you got in on this thing called the church because you were slick. Sit back and remember that it was the mercy of God that brought you in. You didn't deserve it. He brought you in. And when you do that, there's something that, I don't know if it does it for you, but it motivates me. It's like, good night. If I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. But God mercifully reached down through his son, Jesus. And man, I want to focus in on him again. There's a motivating factor there. Now, there's a second motivating factor, and this one's crazy good. Y'all with me say yes? I mean, I'm pretty fired up to share this one with you, all right? So you want to jot this one down. God's wealth will forever be on display in the church. God's wealth will forever be on display in the church. Think about today. Today, if a person wants to uh, display their personal wealth, they do so uh, by what they build. Donald Trump puts his wealth on display by building his buildings. But God the Father puts his wealth on display by building a people called the church. And he does this by his mercy because he is wealthy in mercy. Notice what the Bible says, verse 4. But God being, notice the scripture, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead on our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, very quickly and pay close attention, all right? Where some are rich in economics, God the Father is rich in mercy. Mercy is the ability to not treat a person as they deserve. This is a characteristic of God, which he possesses in abundance. Uh, Check this out. There is not a sinner. Are y'all listening? Say yes, because this is good. There is not a sinner for which God cannot cut a mercy check to cover his debt. He is so rich in mercy. There are some who hoard their riches, but not God. He doesn't hoard his mercy. In fact, the appropriate expression of God's love to those who are spiritually dead is to give them life. And that's what he does. When you trust in Jesus, God takes you who are dead and makes you come alive. So we identify with Jesus' death on the cross as 
payment for our sin. We identify with the resurrection of Jesus Christ as his ability to give us new life. And indeed, all of those who are in Christ are brand new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And at the same time, we identify with the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Because the Bible says he is now seated at the right hand of God in a place of honor. And check this out. This Bible tells you and me that we are actually seated with Christ in the heavenlies at the right hand of God. Who are you to think you deserve to be in such a position of honor? You don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. His mercy, though, is so rich. His mercy is so grand that his mercy itself begs for an opportunity to display itself. And it's displayed in the church. Now, how is he going to display it? I mean, who's he displaying it to? Well, this is pretty slick here. Um, Look at verse 7. The Bible says, so that. That means here's the reason that you were saved. So that in the ages to come... He might, check this out, show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, what is this talking about? This is the whole of God's creation, both humans and angels, in the days ahead will view the wealth of God's mercy and grace in the church. Now, how's that going to happen? Here's how it's going to happen. The church, which has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, will be put on full display as an eternal reminder of how wealthy God truly is. So God is rich in wealth. He's not going to build a building to impress people. He's going to build a people. So he redeems them. That is, check this out, purchases them by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And then he fits all of us together in unity and love, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, we come through Christ. And he puts us together from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And then ultimately, God will take the church to himself and put the church on full display in heaven to show how rich in mercy he is. And the Bible teaches, who's going to see that? The Bible teaches, and this is awesome, the Bible teaches that the angels will be the ones peering at the church, overwhelmed by how rich in mercy God is. The angels. Now think about this, because the Bible says in 1 Peter that the angels look into salvation. It's like they're amazed. They look down at churches that are gathering even today, and they're seeing the gospel priest and some old sinner sitting out there, and he's under conviction and comes to faith in Jesus. And when they see the change in his life, the angels are like, did you see that? Can you believe, because we know what his life was like, but oh, how rich God is in mercy. And so they lean over, they're amazed. That's what the Bible says, when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. Those are the angels of heaven. So I believe holy angels will look at the church for all of eternity and be reminded of the great mercy wealth of God. I also would argue that the... Enemies of hell, fallen angels, will see in the church for all of eternity a reminder of how merciful God is. Wow. Now, the reason that I say wow on this is because who deserves that in the house? Not a soul here. So, but when you grab hold of that fact, if you lose focus, and you're not motivated to get to know God better and to love him more, grab hold of this. Mercy is undeserved, bro. You didn't earn it. So love him. And and he's making you a part of a display of his mercy well for all of eternity. You didn't earn that. 
That should motivate you to say, I want to know him more. Man, I want to love him more. I want to, I want to, gra- I want to grab a hold of all that I can of Jesus. <laughs> y'all ready for number three? Are y'all with me? That's pretty slick, isn't it? Number three says this, God's grace cannot be earned. God's grace cannot be earned. Uh, if, it, if we could earn God's grace, it wouldn't be grace. It'd be payment. Grace wouldn't be a gift. It'd be a paycheck. Think about that for just a moment, all right? When, when payday comes at your workplace, uh, you don't open the check and say to your employer, thank you so much for your grace. You don't say that to your employer, right? No, 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 you earn that. You work, so that's why you get paid. Well, listen, you aren't getting grace because you are earning recompense for your works. When you receive a paycheck, you don't brag about the riches of your boss either. When you get paid in your place of employment, you don't open it up and say, thank you for your grace. And may I just point everyone to my boss? He's so unbelievable. Or she. Do y'all do this? I mean, I'm asking y'all a question. Do y'all do this? No, you don't do that. It would be absurd because you work for that money, man. Matter of fact, what you do is gripe about the fact you don't get more. Be honest. Look at verse 8 and 9, though. The Bible says this, For by grace you have been saved, not payment, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast or brag. Now quickly think about what's happening in the context of Ephesians chapter 2 when Paul makes this particular verse available for us. God is rich in grace and mercy. He puts his riches on display by redeeming man from his sin and freeing him from the penalty of his sin, which is death. So just think about it logically here for just a moment and grab hold of it. If a person, if a person, if a person could earn their salvation by good works, that would mean that God's mercy and grace could not be on full display for eternity. If you could earn it, then the angels would not see in you a reminder of how God is rich in mercy. If you could earn it, the angels would see in you someone who really worked hard. Could you imagine what heaven would be like if you earned your way there? It would be like hell on earth, wouldn't it? Because what would you do? You'd just brag on yourself. I'd run into you. I'd be like, how'd you get up here? And you'd be like, here's what I did. How'd you get up here? And I would come up with more than you came up with. Are you listening? Just because I wanted to look better than you. But heaven is not filled with those who are bragging upon themselves. Heaven is filled with those who are bragging on Jesus. Because they didn't deserve it. It was by grace that they were saved. Now think about it like this too, man. God created the heavens and the earth to put his creative power on display for all to see. Check it. I'm trying to draw a line here. God created in the heavens and the earth, uh, the heavens and the earth to put his creative power on display for all to see. God redeemed the church to put his redemptive mercy on display for all to see. So out of the riches of his grace, you have been saved, the Bible says, through faith. Now, faith is you surrendering to the gospel message of Jesus. Jesus died for you, is buried, and he was resurrected. And when you believe that you cannot save yourself and you embrace Jesus by faith, not your religion, not some religious activity, not some good word, but Jesus and Jesus alone. When you grab hold of him by faith, that's the moment that you are changed. It's the moment you're brought to new life. That's the moment you're no longer considered dead in your transgressions and your sins. That's the moment where God views you as one who died with Jesus, was raised with Jesus, and right now sits with Jesus at the right hand of God. 
Faith, by the way, is not a work. Some people try to argue that, but that is not the case. If it were a work, James would not have separated them in the New Testament. Faith without works is dead. Faith is a conscious decision that you make to surrender your life to Christ. And when you surrender to Jesus, he gives you his grace. The story was told of a man who came eagerly but very late to a revival meeting. He found the workmen were tearing down the tent, which he had hoped to go to and be involved in the meetings. Frantic at missing the evangelist, he decided to ask one of the workers what he could do to be saved. The workman, who was a Christian, replied, you can't do anything to be saved, it's too late. Horrified, the man said, what do you mean? How can it be too late? The response came back, the work has already been done. There's nothing you need to do but believe it. Some of you have sat in churches, but you're not a part of the church. Because you don't know the mercy of God. Some of you are still thinking you're good enough, you've done enough things, but that's not the case. And for some of you who are believers, and you know the Lord, but you've lost your focus on Jesus, listen, you need to come back to these elementary but profound truths. Grace is unearned. And that should help motivate you. And then here's the last truth. God will never abandon you. God will never abandon you. Look at verse 10. The Bible says this. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. I love this. We are his workmanship. All right, now look at me. I bought eyeball for a moment. Now, some of you are here today, and you don't feel motivated. You're a walk with the Lord. You would kind of say, man, you kind of fell off the path, right? You're kind of, you're kind of wandering. Kind of like the children of Israel. You've just been kind of aimlessly moving around doing things, but not focused, not walking with the Lord. That describes your life. And you know that that describes your life. And this morning you came and you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I don't even know if God's near me. I feel like God has abandoned me. I, maybe you're looking at your family situation and you're thinking, if God really loved me, this wouldn't be happening. Or maybe you're looking at even your uh, work situation and say, if God really loved me, this wouldn't be happening. Or maybe you're a single mom here today and you're saying, where's God? Or maybe you're a, a, a recent divorcee and you're saying, where's God? Y'all see my finger? Yeah. I, I, I'm pointing at you. I, I wish I could come right to you who are followers of Jesus and point at you real hard so you get the point. Are y'all with me? Can you imagine I'm pointing at you right now? Can y'all see it over there? I'll bring it around on this side. Y'all see me? I'm just, just me and you pointing at you. I want you to know something. He will never abandon you because, look, at, I'm still pointing, because you are his workmanship. God didn't go through the trouble to redeem you so he could walk away from you. He made you his workmanship. The Greek word is poemia. It means poem. That's where we get the English word poem. Isn't that awesome? God, before creation, chose the church to be redeemed. You by faith got involved in that. Before creation, God prepared good works for you to walk in. Before creation, he wrote a poem about your life. You are his workmanship. And what a privilege every day that you get to get up and you get to walk another line 
on the poem which God has written about you. And that poem, it doesn't always describe easy roads. That poem has difficulty. That poem has hard times in it. But here's the reality. That poem ultimately will give glory to God. My word. You're his workmanship. He's not abandoned you. (laughs) Y'all come here, come here, come here. I was just looking at one. He never moved. (laughs) Don't you come here. In the garden, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin, he was unaware of the fact that when sin entered into the world, that would become the pathway through which people would be able to see the mercy of God. I want to run around the pulpit. Because some people are like this to say, well, wait a minute, preacher, couldn't he have kept them from sinning? Yes, he could. But he chose not to. And had sin not entered into the world, we would not know that God is merciful and full of grace. Had sin not entered into the world, suffering would not be a part of the world. If suffering were not a part of the world, we would not know that he is the God of all comfort. My word. Hey man, grab, have you lost your focus? Grab hold of what God has done for you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The saved a, a wretch, that's what we sing. But the original language saved a worm like me. Y'all know what y'all are? Bunch of worms. I can't even get no fish out of it. Y'all are worms is what you are. I'm a worm. But he saved me, and he now makes you a prince and a princess. Part of his eternal kingdom. Y'all ever used binoculars before and you couldn't get a good vision out of them? They're blurry. So, so on the binoculars, they got that little, that little knob. That's the scientific word for it. Y'all would... And you turn that little knob, and you're turning that little knob, and you're, you're getting it into focus. There it is. Oh, there it is. And then you can finally see, and you're like, oh, I can see everything. That's so close. It looks like it's right here on me. Check this out. We lose our vision of Jesus. We become blurry sometimes. The words of this world, our life, busyness causes us to become blurred. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is the little knob. The mercy which I have received from God is undeserved. He is going to make me a part of the eternal church, which is a reflection of his wealth, and the angels of heaven and hell are going to be overwhelmed. I've not earned his grace. He gave this to me as a gift by faith. And he will never abandon me. And when I, when, when I go through those four, it's like I'm turning the knob, and then all of a sudden it becomes clear. That's who I'm living for. Not me, not people around me, but Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, our time together today. And I pray that you'd speak to hearts. God, I know in a room this side there are some who just have lost motivation to grow in their walks with you. God, I pray that they'd turn the little knob this morning and refocus their lives. We trust that you can do that today.
And I ask that you would work by the Spirit in the lives of those who know you. And then some of you are here today and you don't know Jesus. Like you know church, you've kind of shown up around here and you've heard me preach maybe several times, but you've not genuinely come to faith in Christ. Listen, you're still a child of of God's wrath by nature. I mean, God's wrath is breathing down your neck, man. It's right around the corner. I'm just trying to help you, all right? Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. If you'll turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus this morning, you can be redeemed. You can become a part of God's church, company of the called out ones. You can become a part of that group of people who are going to be a reflection of the mercy wealth of God for all of eternity. Don't you miss that? So if that's you and you need it, just pray. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me. I believe you got up from the dead. Today I'm turning from my sin and trusting you. Say that to the Lord. I can't save myself. I need you. When you're honest before God, God touches your heart, gives you new life. You get binoculars, right? Spiritual binoculars, so to speak. And now the goal is just to stay focused on who Jesus is, your walk with him. And so if I ask you today and you prayed and responded to Jesus right there in your seat, in a moment we'll stand to our feet. You might be a guest of ours. I know this may sound weird, but we have an invitation. I'll be here in the front, other pastors as well. If you've prayed with me to give your life to Jesus today or you know that you need to make that decision, I'm just going to ask you to leave the place where you've been seated and just come forward. I mean, I'm going to be here in the front. Others, we're going to pray for you, help you along in your walk with Christ. We'd love to set up a time uh, in the days ahead just to see you grow. Man, come. You come. We want to celebrate with you. God may be calling you to join this church body. If that's the case, you'd be obedient as well. Father, uh, thank you for your word and how it motivates us and for the truths that you give us. Now place your hand on those who need to make decisions today and give them courage. Even as we sang a moment ago, I pray that you would make them brave. And that's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning if God's calling you.